Good morning. My name is Jesus. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. It's a joy to be with you this morning. If you're visiting, I'm not the normal preacher, okay? So come back next week. He'll be back in the, in, on, in the lectern here bringing us the word next week. Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. If you're using the Bible from the pew, it's page 891. Romans chapter 12. This morning we're continuing our series through the book of Romans. We've been in the book of Romans for a few months now. And we find ourselves in chapter 12. Uh, the first 11 chapters of this book, Paul lays out some amazing, amazing truths. Just huge ideas, huge implications. But as you read through the first 11 chapters of the letter, what you find is there's not a lot of instruction. There's not a lot of directives in those chapters. Here in chapter 12... Paul takes a hard turn toward application. Here in chapter 12, he starts to get really practical with us. If these things that I've been saying for 11 chapters are true, this is how you should respond to them, okay? So that's what we're going to see here this morning. Uh, one of my professors said, your theology, your knowledge of God is meant to go from your head to your heart to your hands, from your head to your heart to your hands. It's not enough to just know and love the truth. If we don't put it to work in our lives, then the, the, the truth of the word is not going to do its full work that it's intended to do. Okay, so this morning we're going to see what are we supposed to do with all of this truth that Paul has given us in these first 11 chapters. All right? For you note takers, here's the outline for this morning. We're going to look at the request. We're going to see what our response should be, and then we'll look at what the result is of that response. If you're getting ready to take a nap, give me 30 seconds. Here's the sermon in 30 seconds, okay? If you are a Christian, God can and will change you. If you say you're a Christian and your life looks nothing like it, if, if your life looks exactly the way it did before you were a Christian, something's wrong. Okay? If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, God can and will change you. What does that look like for us here in, verse, in chapter 12, verse 1? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul starts, I appeal to you. When he says I appeal, he's speaking with authority. Okay, This is not a lighthearted suggestion. Hey, if you feel like it, do this. No, he's using his apostolic authority to say, hey, you need to listen to this. Act on what I'm about to say. And what does he appeal to? I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. He could have said, hey, I'm Paul. Listen to what I'm saying. If you know who I am, you should probably heed my words. But he didn't. By the mercies of God. If you're visiting this morning, welcome. If church is not normally your thing, I want to make sure we understand what Paul is talking about here. I think he's using it shorthand, the mercies of God, as a phrase to describe everything I just talked about in 11 chapters. 
But what is that? Let's, let's try to cover that here in 11 chapters and months of preaching in 60 seconds, all right? Paul says that when you go outside and you see the mountains and you look at your hand and you see people, something inside of you tells you this did not come from nowhere. Someone made this. There's order here. There's structure here. And on top of what we see in creation, God has given us other people to tell us stories. And he's given us his word to tell us the truth. And what people have done is we've taken the example of creation. We've taken the example and the truth of his word and we've rejected it. We've said that's foolishness and we're not going to believe that. And in Romans 3, Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because we reject this truth, we stand condemned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God has a plan for all of these things. And Paul lays that out for us. As he continues through the letter, he shows us there was God's plan to bring Christ to pay the penalty of our sins. This is the mercy of God. You were dead in your sin, and if you end your days of this life dead in your sin, you're going to hell. But Jesus can change that for you. This morning, Jesus can save you from an eternal judgment. And so because of the mercies of God, Paul makes this request. Brings us to a first point in our outline. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This word bodies, what he's meaning to say here is it's not just your skin. It's not just your blood and bones. It's everything that you are. It's your thoughts. It's your feelings. It's you, okay? There's another, there's another word for bodies in scripture that describes more just kind of your body, your bones, your, your blood, your skin. That's not the word he uses here. He uses the word soma. It's more holistic. All of you. Present your bodies, present yourself. And what are we presenting our bodies as? Look at verse 1 again. I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When the readers of this letter read sacrifice, what they would have thought of is, in part at least, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God put together this system of sacrifices that were considered worship for the people. There were some sacrifices to be done on certain days, in certain months, on certain years. Sometimes it's a dove. Sometimes it's a bigger animal. And Leviticus 4 comes to mind. And it describes how the priest is to bring a bull into the altar, into the room, and sacrifice the bull on the altar. It's not a bull, right? It's a bull. And it says he's supposed to bring it in and, and kill it. And take some of its blood and put it here. And take some of its intestines and put it there. And the scripture says, take some of its dung and put it over there. And take its skin and burn it like this. That's my feeling. What is this gruesome imagery that God is doing with this? I know some people that get grossed out by the red stuff in the ground beef at the grocery store. Right? Imagine that would make our, our family time Lord's Supper services really interesting. Tonight we're going to sacrifice a bull. <laughs> That's going to go well. Why did God do this? He wanted the people to understand that the, the forgiveness of sins comes at a great, great cost. 
And he was preparing them for the story that Jesus was going to, to create. Jesus was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for us. The animals that were sacrificed died in order to cover the sins of the people. You don't have to die because Christ died for us. And that's why Paul says in verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you come to Jesus, you don't have to die. You live for him. Why would we do this? Why would we choose to sacrifice ourselves and give up our thoughts and give up our bodies? Look at what Paul says at the end of the verse. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. If you have a different translation, you might see good and proper. You might see reasonable. Um, I think reasonable is the most helpful translation of this word. The ESV says spiritual. The word is logikos. We kind of get our idea of logic, right? Thoughts, thinking, volition. And so Paul is saying, this is your reasonable worship. It's, a, it's an intentional process. You have to make this happen with your thoughts. You have to purpose to present your body as a living sacrifice. It isn't just going to happen. You don't just fall into sacrifice. You have to make this happen volitionally. Here's a thought exercise. Let's say you owe the government $100 trillion, right? And you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life because of your debt. So here you are in this imaginary court, and they're about to judge you, and I swoop in. Ah! And I take out my checkbook, and I say, here's $100 trillion, because I got it like that. Right? Your debt is paid. You're free to go. All I ask of you is that you treat my wife well. You don't owe me anything. Just treat my wife well. What's the reasonable response to my request? Treat her well, right? Look at the debt I just paid. Look at the future I just changed. Treat her well. And if you treat her poorly, that's so unreasonable. Why would you do that? It makes no sense. It's unreasonable. And what Paul is saying here is when you understand the mercies of God, when you understand how sinful you are and the price that it costs to forgive that sin, the reasonable response is a life of sacrificial living. The reasonable response is worship. When you understand who you are and the work that Christ has done, you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Because of God's mercy, you don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. Offering your body and your mind is your worship. So how do we do that? How do we offer our body as a sacrifice? Look with me at verse 2. Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Number two in our outline, the response, be transformed. 
Do not conform to this world is what he says. He's writing this letter to people who are in the country of Rome. Rome pretty much rules the world at this point. It's a pagan culture. He's telling them, don't be like, don't be like the pagans. We saw this in chapter 6 when he said, you used to be like that. Don't be like that anymore. You were slaves to sin, but now you're slaves to righteousness. Don't be like the world. Don't conform to the world. Are there any Eagles fans in here? Oh, too soon, too soon. Why did it hurt? Because we're invested, right? Because we care. Not a football fan? You watching Yellowstone? Who's the biggest savage? Jamie? I don't know. Beth? Is she going to win out? Right? Not interested in TV? Stock market's not doing so hot this year. How are you feeling about that? Who are you trusting for your security and your provision? Are you so entrenched in this world that it's all-consuming? These aren't inherently bad things. Football's not a bad thing. Stock market, saving, being prepared. These aren't inherently bad things. But the reality is we're conformed to this world more than we like to think. You're crazy if you think you're not. It's all around us. It's like the fish that doesn't know it's wet. So if we shouldn't be conformed to this world, then what should we do? Look at what Paul says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This word transformed is metamorpho. We get our word metamorphosis from it. So all week long I've been thinking about a butterfly. Right? The butterfly starts out as a caterpillar. It goes into the cocoon. And it comes out a butterfly. It comes out different. When you offer your mind, when you renew your mind, when you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, God will literally change you. He will change you. Be transformed. He will change your mind. He will change your heart. He will change your desires. This isn't some kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just give it more effort and you can be better. No. This is real hope in Christ. This is a real submission to a big God who loves you and has plans for your life. Will you trust him and follow his way so that you can be changed? That's one thing I tell my counselees. One of the ways I'm privileged to serve here at the church is I'm one of the counselors here. When people come in and ask for help, I've never come across anybody that doesn't know their Bible. Right? I've never said, hey, turn to the book of John, and they go, where's that? Church people know their Bible. They know the stories. They know where things are. So why are they in my office asking for counseling? You see, it's not a problem of information. It's a problem of application. What do we do with that information? And when they come in, I tell them, as you come in, as we start this process together, I need to ask you a question. Are you willing to change? 
if the Lord does his work and the truth of the scripture does its work, we'll probably find areas that you need to change something in. Are you willing to do that? Or are you just going to sit here and tell me why I'm wrong and how I'm the, the idiot here and how everything you've been doing is the right way to do it? Are you willing to change? Because that's what will happen when you entrust yourself to the Lord. Are you willing to let go of your old ways and be transformed? How does this transformation happen? How do we get transformed? The verse says, by renewing our minds. We'll talk about what that means here. This is such a countercultural idea today. Our culture says if it feels good, do it. If you were born like that, act on it. If it makes you uncomfortable, just avoid it. And Paul is challenging that thinking. Renew your mind. We need to examine our thoughts and examine our feelings against the word and see if those things are true or not. Some examples of hopefully clarifying what it means to renew your mind. Does anybody like taking showers? Hopefully some, at least one of us does, thank you, two of us. Say so you jump in a mud pit, right? So you come home, you're all muddy, you take off your clothing, you get in the shower. You wash off and now you're clean. How much sense does it make to go back and put your old muddy clothes back on? None. Why did I just do this? Right? We live life in a fallen, broken world. And as you live life, brokenness happens and you get muddy. There's loss. There's pain. There's hurt. There's my own selfishness and my own sinfulness. And life makes you muddy. So what do you do? You renew your mind. You get in the shower. And the truth of the word and the encouragement of brothers and sisters and the encouragement of music. And you find the truth to give you perspective on the mud that you're washing off. And in other places, Ephesians and Galatians, Paul says, put those things off and put these things on. Put the truth on. Put on love. Put on forbearance. This is what it is to renew your mind. Life happens. Okay, it happens. We understand that. But now how do I process that? And, in the, and once I'm processing through that, how do I live beyond that now in light of the truth? Where are my millennials at? Holla. Remember these things? Oh, buddy, the more you had, the cooler you were. If you grew up in church like I did, these were the jam. The bracelet says, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And all us good little church kids thought we were cool for wearing them at school. This is mind renewal. I'm really mad at my wife right now. Option A, I can yell at her. Option B, I can show her grace. What would Jesus do? That's mind renewal. 
What would Jesus do in this moment? How would Jesus have me act? I'm mad at my wife. I'm going to punch her. No mind renewal there. But we're not animals. We have a spirit. If you're a believer, you have the truth. Take that pause. Renew your mind. How would God have me act? What would Jesus do? I'm going to read you a testimony of a guy that I uh, counseled probably about 10 years ago now uh, in a different state. When I met him, he was in his mid-40s, uh, three or four kind of young high school, junior high-aged kids. And uh, he, came to, he came for counseling because he started hearing his 13-year-old kid use, this guy was struggling with anxiety. He started hearing his 13-year-old kid using phrases and saying words that he himself would say to describe his own anxiety. So he would talk about it out loud and he started hearing his kid using those same phrases and it scared him. It scared him. This is his story. It's a little bit long, but we'll get through it. He says, I grew up with a mom who lived a life of fear and I didn't understand while growing up. That I didn't understand while growing up. All I knew was she seemed to be scared of everything. Much to my shame, I even made fun of her at times for being afraid. Now in my adult life, I look back and I see that I wasn't much different from my mom after all. As an adult, I developed various fears. Fears of swimming pools, heights, driving, and various other things. I just shrugged these things off. I didn't think they were really a problem. But 12 years ago, my world was changed by an anxiety attack. That first attack was short, but it caused me to live in fear of another attack every day for the next 12 years. I tried to pretend I was living a normal life by going to work, going to church, and going to stores with my wife, but I wasn't normal. I limited how far I would drive, and I didn't like being without my wife. And I was struggling in my role as a husband and as a dad. When I met this guy, he had stopped driving altogether. So his wife would load him up with the kids, take him to work, take the kids to school, go do her day, pick up the kids, pick up the husband, and then on they go for the evening. I would ask myself, this is hard, but it isn't sinful, right? My old church didn't think so. Anxiety was an accepted norm. I was put on pills that I became addicted to and stayed in my sheltered world. Then God did a wonderful thing. He had me laid off from a job that had suffered because of my anxiety. And then a few years later, we moved to this church uh, that we're at now. This church blew us away from the get-go. They preached that God's word was sufficient for my trials. My wife and I went to discipleship training that fall, and it was there that I came to terms with my sin. This is what he said. Anxiety was my sin. Being safe was my idol. It was only through the teaching at the discipleship training that I finally confessed that I was sinning. The word of God says, don't fear many times. I had always thought, that's a nice idea, but my situation is harder than that. I was so wrong. God doesn't just tell us do not fear, but he gives us what we need to be able to do that. My wife and I enrolled in counseling here at the church, and I was taught how to use God's truth to renew my mind and trust God. Romans 12, 2 exhorts us to not follow the pattern of this world, 
For me, that was to crumble to fear and despair. Instead, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Don't follow the world's thinking. That's where I had to change. That was where I learned I could trust God. Once I actually started trusting God instead of my feelings, I could actually hear the fearful thoughts in my head. I was then able to refute them with the truth of the word. These two verses were vital to that because of God's amazing grace. I started going places by myself again. I never thought I'd be able to do that. I was free from my addiction to Xanax. My days are no longer full of fear, but full of faith and hope in the Lord. I still have a doubt here and there, but believing that God is sovereign and that nothing slips through his hands has allowed me to say that I have been freed. I now see that the word of God is sufficient for all of my cares. And he ends with the verse, cast your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. This is what mind renewal looks like. Don't hear what I'm not saying. God gave us feelings. God gave us emotions. It's not wrong that you feel scared. It's not bad that you feel anxious. These are good things that God built into us. Where we go wrong is where we give in to those things without any discernment. Where we go wrong is where we don't renew our mind and examine those thoughts and feelings. We don't think about them as Jesus would think about them. We just give in to our thoughts and feelings. If we can, re- if we can learn to renew our mind, the Spirit will transform us from the inside out. And this brings us to point number three in our outline. When we live a life of worship, the result is that we can discern what the will of God is for our life. Look at the end of the verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In chapter 1 of this letter, Paul describes the people and he says that they disregarded God's wisdom for them. And what God did, the way Paul says it, he says, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They rejected God's truth, they rejected his wisdom, and God gave them up to a debased mind. But here, when you renew your mind and you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, you can discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. You can discern the will of God. What a contrast to go from a debased mind following my own reason and logic and and wisdom to following God's and knowing God's will. That's a big difference. God's will. There's a small topic. Let's just cover that in 60 seconds. I kind of thought about these three categories um, of God's will. They're the things that we can't know. Okay, when is the world going to end? We don't know. How many types of animals are there? We can't count. 
right? Just things you can't know. How many licks does it take to get to the center of a lollipop? <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> we'll never figure it out. There are the things you can't know. There are the things we don't know yet. Will I get that promotion? I don't know yet. Will I ever get married? Don't know yet. Will we ever have that kid? Don't know. God knows. He has a plan. We just don't know yet. And then there's this third category of God's will where there are things that we do know. I know I'm here. It was God's will that I would be here. I, here's one. It was God's will that you would be sitting in that seat at this moment with this crazy guy telling you that you would be sitting here. Your life in God's providence has led to this moment for you to hear these words. And you know that. He brought you here. What else do we know? As believers, we believe this is true. So we know what this tells us, right? Here's one example. This is the will of God for your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. There's several places in scripture that literally say this is the will of God for your life. How are you doing with those this is the will of God for you? How's that going? How are you doing with loving and being patient and forgiving? How's that going? Because we know that's what God wants for us. He's told us that. I think too many times we spend our time invested in that second category. Am I going to get married? Is this person that I'm with the right one? I don't know. But as you ask these questions, you're also living a life of sin. Will, will I ever get married? But we're already being sexually immoral. How does that square? God has told us clearly some things that we are to do and live by, and we're ignoring those for these other second category thoughts. We want to know the things that God hasn't made clear yet while we ignore the things that God has already commanded us to do. You see, church, God has made his will clear for us in Scripture. And when we live our life in sacrifice and worship of him, we can obey his word. And we can live at the center of his will for our lives. Do you want to be able to change? Do you want to see God use you for his purposes in this life? Renew your mind so that he can transform you. As we step away from the text proper here, there's four lies that I thought as I was reflecting on this passage. I think there's four lies that I hear a lot. And I think that the truth of this passage will help us to fight these lies directly in our day-to-day -day life. The first one, I'm not, quote, holy enough to be able to change. If I could just not drink for a week, I'll reach out for help. 
If I could just control my anger for a couple of days, maybe I'll ask my spouse for forgiveness. If I could just, you fill in the blank. But what is the qualifier that Paul uses to show us how we can be changed here? It's not by the strength of your own will. It's not by your experience. What does he say? He says, if we know and love the mercies of God, we can be changed. If you have the spirit, he can change you. You can be transformed by the mercies of God. Don't believe the lie that says I have to be good enough before God will help me. If you know the mercies of God, you can be transformed. And by God's grace, you go to a church that values showing people how to do that. Reach out. Don't suffer another day under the lie that you have to be good enough to change. Lie number two. I can't control my blank. It just happens. What is it for you? I can't control my anger. I can't control my frustration. I can't control my bitterness. You don't understand. Nobody understands. Some other ways people say this. That's just how I am. That's just how I was raised. That's what my parents taught me. Why is this a lie? Because Paul tells us to offer our bodies. I think that's really significant. Life is hard. Things happen. Wrongs happen. Violations happen. Our body knows this. Our body suffers the consequences of living in a fallen and broken world. And Paul is saying, take that body, that broken body, broken by this world, and offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. doesn't matter what your parents told you you were. What does God tell you you are? Yes, I understand your impulses are difficult. I understand we're disposed to respond in certain ways. I'm not ignoring that. But God gives grace to fight those impulses. In chapter 7, you see the experience for Paul himself. He says, I know what the right thing to do is, but I do the wrong thing. And you see this struggle. He's feeling torn in two directions. And he's telling us here, it doesn't matter what bad example you had. Crucify that body as a sacrifice to God. Take that body with all of its impulses and offer it to the Lord and say, God, you're more powerful than these impulses that my body is telling me. Young people, fighting youthful lust is hard. I understand that. This is the key. Do you want victory in that? Renew your mind. Plead with the Lord. Lord, change my heart. Change my mind. That is a prayer he will answer. 
Spirit will change your heart. This third lie, if I just keep praying, God will blank. The emphasis there is just. If I just keep praying. If I just keep praying, God will change their heart. If I just keep praying, God will fix the problem for me. If I just keep praying, God will give me a peace about it. Why is this wrong? Paul doesn't say, offer your body and just wait around and pray until God changes it. Paul says, renew your mind. You, believer, go renew your mind. You ever heard this phrase, let go and let God? Yeah, I was really disrespectful to my spouse when we were arguing. I know that. You know what? I'm not even going to bring it up. I'm just going to let go and let God. How convenient. Sign me up for that. I make the mess and he cleans it up. Let's do that. If I just keep praying. If you find yourself entertaining these types of thoughts, I want to challenge you with this idea. There is no power in prayer. Huh? He was doing all right up to now. There is no power in prayer. Listen to this prayer. O Allah, send grace and honor on Muhammad and on the family and the true followers of Muhammad, just as you sent grace and honor on Abraham and on the family and true followers of Abraham. Is that a prayer? Yeah, that's a prayer. Is it powerful? Depends who you ask, I guess, huh? How about this one? From the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. It's a real group. Our one creator, which flies and is spaghetti and a monster. I believe thou art the creator of goodness and nourishment and of sustenance. I thank the pasta and the sauce and the meatballs for they provide me all my needs. There's a prayer. Is it powerful? So why do we pray? Why do we pray? Here it is. There is no power in the practice of praying. There is power in the God to whom you pray. There is power in the God to whom we pray. There is power in God to whom we pray. And that God has told us to do more than just sit and pray. Don't use something holy like prayer as an excuse for a sin like inaction. God has told you, go renew your mind. Don't sit there waiting for God to do something that he's already shown us how to do. Don't believe the lie that if you just sit back, God will change it. Go renew your mind. 
and work through it. By God's grace, again, you're at a church that values helping you do this. Don't wait another day to reach out for help. The last lie, I don't want to make the quote wrong choice and, and end up outside of God's will. What does Paul say here? He says that we can test and approve God's will. How do we test and approve God's will? Guess and stress? That's one strategy. Let's just try it and see what happens. That, that can be fun. How about this one? God, just show me the answer. Which religion should I choose? And then you go toast your bread and see what it says, right? Give me a sign, God. There's another strategy. Turn with me to Psalm 37. The psalmist writes this, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Here it is. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. Believer, if you're living a life of worship, if you're living a life of sacrifice, if your heart is fixed on God's heart, if you want what God wants for you, and that's what you pursue, and that's what you pray for, and that's what you strive for, whatever your heart's desire is, is going to be in line with God's heart. Do what you want. Where we go astray is where we follow our desires and our wisdom and our passions. If your heart is fixed on God, if you're living a life of sacrifice, if you're renewing your mind, do whatever you want. You don't have to be fearful of making choices. Your desires will be aligned with his Listen one more time to our passage. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This goes against everything your body is going to tell you. This goes against everything the world is going to tell you. But if you want to be in God's will, offer your body as a living sacrifice. The way you do that is by renewing your mind. Don't let your circumstances continue to steer your heart and your mind. God can change you. He's ready to change you. Will you offer yourself to him this morning? Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, this is not easy. It's laid out very simply here because it's simple, but this is not easy. Our emotions are strong. Our feelings are strong. We acknowledge that. 
But give us the wisdom and give us the strength to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to you. Lord, I pray now in this moment for those hearts that you're stirring that they would reach out for help. I pray now for the counselors that will be available on the other end to receive them. Give them wisdom. Prepare their hearts now in this moment for the conversations that will come. Thank you for a place that cares and for people that want to care well. Grant us this prayer, Lord, that you would be honored by how we care for one another. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.